Our scripture is out of Luke 9, starting in verse 46 today. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from the heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand onto the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, we, we thank you for uh, today, Lord, that we have the privilege and honor of, of meeting together, that we live in a, in a free country on so many so many levels. There's so many people who wish that they could do what we do, that, that we could have the, the free and fair elections that we have here. And so, Lord, this morning we want to pray for what looks to be our, our new president and vice president. And we pray for Joe Biden. Or we pray for, for him as a man. Lord, we pray for his character. We pray for... Um, that he, we pray that he would govern in righteousness, Lord, with justice. Lord, that he would understand the seriousness of the role that he has. Lord, we pray that you direct him. Lord, we, we know that you direct the hearts of kings. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would direct uh, Joe Biden during this time. We pray that it would be a good and honoring uh, presidency to you. God, we also... Thank you for uh, Kamala Harris. Lord, we may not totally agree with her politics, but God, we can, we can see the goodness of having a black and Asian uh, woman of mixed race in the vice president's office. God, we thank you that our country has, has come so far from the days of slavery and, we, and God, we see this as a, as a good thing. And so, Lord, we're praying for her, and we're praying that she would govern righteously. God, that she would govern, that she would uh, love your people, that she would love you. Lord, we pray for both of them, that, God, that they would come to a saving faith in you. Lord, that you would convict them of sin, and, Lord, that they would see your beauty, your, your gloriousness, your righteousness, and desire it. We pray this in your name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, just one quick thing, and that is that we have THX 
which will be uh, coming upon us in uh, less than three weeks now. We have about, uh, I think, about 15,000 to raise between now and then. That's uh, pretty typical uh, for us as we uh, go into this season. THX is our event where we take a, a Thanksgiving meal and, uh, and gifts. We usually do Christmas trees. We're not doing Christmas trees this year because of the delivery challenges because of COVID. And so we'll just blame everything that doesn't work out on COVID. So um, it's because of COVID. It really is because uh, we can't have multiple people and, and trees and cars and, and trucks and things like that. And so I want to encourage you to get on board and to be a part of it by giving above and, be, above and beyond your, your regular giving towards THX. And then also come here on Thanksgiving morning at 9 a.m. where we will be delivering meals. And so we'll have some type of a drive-through here where you come in this back gate and then you, you get... Uh, a box and you know whatever else we give you in a map and and then you go and and you deliver to these these families so it'll be an exciting time I uh, hope that you're looking forward to it I hope that you guys wake up with me here uh, very uh, very soon <laughs> uh, so right now we're doing three services and obviously uh, our services are condensed a little bit if you didn't know that already and so I'm preaching for 25 minutes this morning which I normally preach for 45 that's probably a lie it's probably more like 50 maybe 55 if the spirit leads really gets a hold of me when I told my pastor friends that I was going to be preaching for 25 minutes they said you should just begin your sermon by saying in conclusion, and go from there. And so I, that's what I'm doing. So we have this passage here that I think is, is really uh, helpful uh, for what we're uh, dealing with today. And my question to you this morning is, why is it so devastating when our candidate loses? Or why is it so thrilling when our candidate wins? Why is it so devastating? Why is there so much fear, anxiety, angst, you know, those kinds of things? when our candidate loses, and why are we so thrilled to the core when our candidate wins? And ultimately, I wanna tell you, it's because our hearts are captivated by the kingdom, uh, kingdom of God, and because we have built a self. We have built an identity on our own kingdom, the kingdom of man. And today, what we have in our world is the result of everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Everyone building a kingdom uh, according to their own desires, according to their own will, according to whatever they think is right or good. And it creates all kinds of problems. It has created the chaos that we see today because no one agrees on what is the right way forward. No one agrees on anything. It would be a little bit like if someday we all woke up and said, you know what, uh, why don't we just decide that murder is no longer bad? Like murder's okay, and so we're just, that, that, that'll be fine. Think of the chaos that would ensue as a result. Well, we, we haven't necessarily uh, allowed murder to exist uh, in its fullest form. But we have decided that many different things are right when they are actually wrong, or many things are wrong that are actually right, and it has created chaos in our society because there's no one true lawgiver. There's no one true king. And so what our problem is is that we have built a kingdom upon the kingdom of man, and as a result, our identity is rooted in this kingdom instead of the kingdom of God and what God has brought in here. Jesus says so in the last verse. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
And ultimately what he's saying to us there is he's saying that if you put all of your hope into this other kingdom and you're constantly looking back and you're not really focused on what God has for you in his kingdom and you're constantly looking back at this other kingdom, what's going to happen is you're not going to be plowing straight rows. You're not going to be living according to what God has for you. And so what I want to communicate to you this morning is that you must live according to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. Because ultimately, when you build your life on the kingdom of man, your identity takes on the kingdom that you follow, the kingdom that you are a part of the kingdom that you submit to. And there's many, many of us in this room today that have built our lives on the kingdom of man. And so life goes sideways. I want to look at this passage with you uh, this morning as we look at this. There's three different things that I see in the beginning and then three at the end that I'm going to talk to you about that all point to this reality that we have created an identity by living according to the kingdom of man. The first thing is this. The disciples have just heard Jesus say that he is going to the cross. He didn't say it in those words, but he alluded to it. That he's going to the cross. He's going to be sacrificing himself for others. And then the disciples immediately begin to talk about who is the greatest. And you think about it, and you look at it, and you say, that seems crazy that they would be talking about who is the greatest. Who, who is the greatest. But the truth is that we have this in our society today. Social media is very much based on the idea of who is the greatest. Who's had the greatest vacation? Who's had the greatest uh, new purchase? Who's had the greatest uh, whatever it is? Uh, who's had the, who is the greatest? I see this in ministry all the time with uh, other uh, pastors and so forth. And I'm even tempted to be a part of that as well, to build my identity on the kingdom of man and try to prove to everybody that I am the greatest. So although it seems crazy, it's not because you and I, on a regular basis, are trying to build our life on this kingdom of man. And we try to prove to other people that we are the greatest. Look at the second thing that happens there. That there's this competition. The disciples see someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they try to stop him because he doesn't follow with us, they said. And Jesus says, don't stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. The second thing that happens in the kingdom of man is this. The first thing is this. I'm the greatest. There's pride. The second one is competition. Our thing is the greatest thing. Our thing is the greatest thing possible. Our church is the greatest thing. And everybody else is doing it wrong. I really suffered from this in the, in, in the beginning. And I'll bet you I still have problems with this. I try to build up other churches all the time, guys that are friends of mine that are doing amazing work in our city and honestly that we are learning from. They've been doing it right for years and years and years and years. But I, as a younger punk, I'm not so young anymore, but as a younger punk, decided that I knew what was best and that I was going to do something uh, amazing. But they're in competition. But we also can find ourselves in the midst of this worldly competition, building an identity on the kingdom of man by not being willing to critique our own movement. To, by not being willing to critique our own movement, our own political party. Listen, if you cannot critique your own political party, you are living according to the kingdom of man. How many times have I done this over and over again? 
I think that I've got it right, that I have all the right things. I think that my political party has everything right. It's according to the scriptures and, and stuff like that. But that has been to be unwilling to critique what this kingdom is. It's being unwilling to critique the reality that this party and this party are both being built by the kingdom of man. And God's kingdom is something different altogether. So we find ourselves in competition. It's worldly competition. The third thing is vindictiveness. The third reason why we are living according to the kingdom of man is this, is that there is a level of vindictiveness that we have that our world has. Listen, the problems in our world are coming from this idea of everybody who disagrees with me should die. I saw a guy wearing uh, uh, a shirt the other day that says, all racist lives don't matter. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, aren't you doing the same thing that the racists are doing? Isn't that the same kind of bigotry? Isn't that the same thing? It's still desiring someone else to die. Look at what happens here. Jesus sends a couple of guys into a, a Samaritan village. They don't receive them because they're going to Jerusalem. There's a long story behind that. I can't get into it right now. And so what happens is this. They don't receive them. They don't want them there. And so James and John say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, if I'm Jesus, the thing that I'm thinking is I want to sit James and John down and say, okay, guys, help me understand this, okay? In all of the sermons that I've given, in all of my teaching, every interaction that you've ever had with me, like, has there ever been a time that I've even insinuated that you should call down fire from heaven and burn everybody up? Has there ever been a time that that's happened? Has there ever been a time that I've been like, you know what? Let's take them out. Like, like this, I, I, I don't like your attitude. I don't like whatever. And James and John are like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call in a drone strike? Let's you know, calling a couple of hellfire missiles. Let's just end this thing, like end, end this, uh, this people group because they disagree with you. Jesus is saying this, that the kingdom of man is one that is constantly building up the, the individual and saying, I am the greatest, and it's creating chaos. The second thing that it does is that it is constantly building up our thing, our political party, our church, our, our little deal, and everyone else is doing it wrong, and we want them to stop. And the third thing is this, is that we desire that they go away, that they die. And you might say, you know what? I, I don't really think that, but 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Men and women, there is great, immense hate that happens in our world today, and this should not be said of Christian people. We must be willing to critique our own movement. We must be willing to love people even when they do not love us. That is the way of Jesus. 
So then we see some indications here of what does it actually mean to live according to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man? What does it mean to have your identity rooted in the kingdom of God? And so there's three successive stories here that all have a similar theme to them. The first one is this. A guy comes up and says in verse 57, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus speaks in a riddle. It says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I don't know what that guy was singing, whether he was confused and he was like, uh, you're talking about animals. Like I, I, was, <laughs> I was just saying I was going to follow you, and somehow we got into wildlife, and like, where, where did I go wrong? But Jesus is saying this, count the cost. Because the Son of Man left his comfortable home in order to, the Son of Man being Jesus, in order to be able to bring the kingdom of God, to bring to you the thing that you have always wanted but never entered into. Jesus has left his home. It's called the incarnation. He has condescended. He has come down. And he has made himself like one of us and has left all of that. He's left his comfort. He's left his familiarity. He's left everything, and he has come down. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is entered into by those people who count the cost who count the cost of what is it going to mean for me to enter into the kingdom of God. There's going to be some things that I have to walk away from. And men and women, I need to tell you that as our community and as our, our, uh, our state and as our country dives further and further and further into this political morass of just violence and anger and hatred, you and I must count the cost of being a part of the kingdom of God. You and I must count the cost of creating an identity on Jesus and on his kingdom, allowing him to dictate to us what our identity will be to count the cost of walking away from the things that we've always hoped for, the things that we believe that we must have, the, the feelings that we believe that we deserve, we must be willing to walk away from that because Jesus says no one is fit for the kingdom of God who is looking back. The second thing he says is he says, I want you to act on it immediately. The first thing is that you've got to count the cost. Like, what is Jesus calling you to? What is Jesus calling you into? He's calling you into a new identity that's dictated by his kingdom. The second thing is this. Jesus turns to a guy in verse 59 and he says, follow me. Which is kind of a, an, an amazing invitation from Jesus, for Jesus to come and say, hey, follow me. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? I hope that you can, because this is what it looks like to be invited by the king into relationship in the context of his kingdom, that Jesus says, follow me. 
And Jesus is calling you this morning to follow him, to enter into his kingdom with him, to no longer be rooted in the kingdom of man, to no longer be rooted in what this life has for you, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your expectations, all of whatever it is, he is calling you to that. And he's saying, follow me. Count the cost and follow me. But act on it immediately. Because there's many of us who've experienced something from Jesus, but we've never acted on it. We've had a moment where we got excited about Jesus. We've had a moment where, we, where we're excited about what he's doing and who he is or something like that. I once had a friend that came over and he said, I had a dream about Jesus. And I saw him and I, and I, w- I was so aware of, my, of m- all of my, my sin and I felt terrible. And then I saw Jesus on the cross and I was like totally relieved because I saw that he had taken uh, my sin on the cross. And I said, man, you have to act on that. And he never did. Not to this day, anyway. I pray that he will. But sometimes those moments, they don't come back. Jesus is saying, act on it immediately. Not just initially, but in an ongoing fashion. As Jesus convicts you of your desire to build an identity on the kingdom of man, and you see that and you realize, I am not following Jesus in this particular area in my life, What does it look like for me to begin to follow Jesus in this particular area of my life and to build my identity on his kingdom in the context of who he is? He's saying, act on it now. Don't delay. Like, stand firm in Christ, not in this world. You know why anxiety and depression and all of those things are running rampant in our society today, even within the context of Christian communities? Because we have not taken on the nature of Christ by living in the context of his kingdom. We have not taken on our identity from Jesus. We have taken our identity, our cues, our stuff from the world. What if you're not in the place that you thought you were. Can we just all like think about that for a second? What if you are really not the Christian that you thought you were? That might, may, might sound harsh, that might feel rough. But you know what creates dead churches? It's when people get comfortable. And they're just doing, doing the same thing all the time and they feel like they've arrived. They've arrived in the faith. They feel like they don't have anything else to do. They don't have anything else to correct. And they're not living according to the kingdom of God. They're not allowing their life, they're, they're taking the word of God and they're saying, like, what is the reflection of my life? What, when I look at the scripture and I use it as a filter for my life, is there anything that's, that's in that filter? Like if if I were to run my life through the filter of the scriptures, the word of God, like what part of me is left? And I don't know that we're asking that question. Because the Christian life is one that is consistently transforming. It is us being consistently transformed. It's someone who has counted the cost. It's somebody who has acted on it immediately and regularly saying, I'm I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait for uh, my dad to pass or for this 
thing to happen or for that thing to happen till I'm in a good spot and then I can finally put more time into this Christianity thing. No, it's somebody who says, it, like, I gotta do it now. I gotta be a part of Jesus now. I gotta be a part of his kingdom. I want my identity to be his identity. That's an alive church. That's an alive group of people. And you know when people can criticize us? It's when we're too steeped in the kingdom of man. Politically, socially, relationally, whatever it is. It's when, that's when people can criticize us. They can throw rocks and they can say that. That's what Jesus is calling you to. The last thing is this, don't look back. Don't look back. Look at what, what's happening here. Another said to him in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Luke is pointing out something to us. He's pointing out that somebody says, I'll come to you, but I, I gotta be looking back. Jesus even points it out. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Living in the past. It's living in the past of the good old days of my Christian life. I came to faith during this time. I grew during this time. And now I'm just coasting. And so I'm looking back on my, my Christian life and I'm saying, that, that's, that's, that's great and I, that's awesome. And now I'm just kind of coasting from that uh, passion, that power, whatever. But I gotta tell you that that fuel is running out. It's running low. Then there's other people who keep looking back and they keep saying, but I did all those things. I did all those bad things and I, and I can't seem to let it go. No one who turns around and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't plow a straight row that way. That's not about living according to the kingdom of God. That's about living according to the kingdom of man. It's looking back on the kingdom days of, of building your own kingdom on man and on you, on you being the greatest, on your thing being the greatest, on the vindictiveness that's in your life. And it's not looking ahead to where Jesus is, looking forward to what he's done for you. And what does Jesus want you to look forward to? He wants you to look forward to his cross. He wants you to look forward to the reality that all of your goodness and all of your badness, all of your sin and all of your good deeds are in the past. Let's move ahead. Let's move forward. See, the hope is this, that there is a kingdom that is greater than this kingdom ever could be. You are seeing the results of the kingdom of man today coming out day after day after day. And Jesus is inviting you into his kingdom through his cross. Because Jesus did count the cost and he chose to die for you anyway. And Jesus did act immediately and Jesus did not look back. He looked ahead to what the Father's will was and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And he saved you. Let's go to the Lord's table here this morning. When we go to the Lord's table, we come and we bring confession and repentance. So would you bow your heads with me now and let's do that for a moment. What is Jesus convicting you of today? What sin do you have in your life? Is there someone you've offended? a broken relationship that you have. I urge you not to partake now if that's where you're at, but to go and make that right with them before you enter into the Lord's table again. 
but I wonder if you'd pray with this with me now. Lord Jesus, would you just bring to mind the sin of my life right now, the areas that I need to get right with you in. As your word has filtered me, I see the reality that whatever it is has been going on. I tried to be the greatest in this area. I tried to say that my thing was the best thing. I lived vindictively towards others. I haven't counted the cost. I haven't acted immediately. I keep looking back on my sin. I keep looking back on the good things that I've done as proof. So Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your strength to acknowledge my sin before you. Let's partake of the body. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Let's partake of the the blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood that was shed for us so that we might be free in you. We are no longer slaves to this kingdom. We are slaves to the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of God. We thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship.